quick one if you'd like to support us on our journey to a thousand please do consider subscribing or following this podcast wherever it is you're listening to this thank you hello hello everybody and welcome to 1000 voices where we are on a mission to interview 1000 inspirational black britons and oh boy do we have an inspirational interview for you today today we spoke with the amazing Lavinia Stennett, the founder of The Black Curriculum. The Black Curriculum are a social enterprise who are working to deliver black British history in schools throughout the UK. Now, what I came to learn in this interview was that The Black Curriculum wasn't something that just appeared out of thin air. In fact, it's been long in the making. And through a mixture of having some very good people around her to help point her in the right direction, to going through some very key experiences in the lead up to founding The Black Curriculum, from some of the early activism work before founding the Black Curriculum and going through her own journey of self-discovery, she founded the Black Curriculum, where her and her team are on a mission to deliver Black British history throughout the UK so that other students will be able to develop their own sense of identity as well. A very, very inspirational story and I hope you all enjoy it. So, without further ado, this is 1000 Voices and here we have Lavinia Stennett. Hello, hello, Lavinia. How are you today? Hi, Tevin. I'm good. How are you? I'm all good. Can't complain. Sun is shining. And yeah, on this lovely May day. So yeah, I'm good. I'm all good. Can't complain. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I've been really, really looking forward to this one. You know, I'm a massive believer in education and I love what you and the team are doing at the Black Curriculum. And I love just your profile in general. It's so cool, so inspiring. So really excited to get you on board. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, For the people who may not know who you are and may not know who the Black Curriculum are, do you mind giving us a quick introduction? Yeah, sure. All right. So for those that don't know about the Black Curriculum um, and also a bit about the work that I do, I'll start with um, myself. I'm a writer, also the CEO of the Black Curriculum. And the Black Curriculum, we are a social enterprise and our mission is about black history, um, ensuring that every young person in the UK not only has access to it, but they are empowered um, with a sense of identity so that when they are, you know, in the world and in their communities, not only do they know who they are, but they can share that with their community. Um, And yeah, so black history as a vehicle to bring social cohesion, essentially. So yeah, um, that's what we do. Yeah, no, it's so cool. I love what you guys are doing. And the black history, the black British history in particular, is definitely a massive gaping hole in yeah. our curriculum. Like massive gaping hole. So the work you're doing is important and I'm definitely um, happy to have you on board. With the black curriculum, so you mentioned there and it says on the website as well, how one of your missions is to set, provide the children that you teach with a sense of identity. Yes. What I'm interested in doing is taking it back, looking at your own upbringing, your own childhood. Do you feel like you had this own sense of identity about yourself? And if so, where did that come from? Mm. Well, I think childhood is a really good place to start because it's, it, it points to a point in our lives where I think the influences that we had were a lot more authentic and not as curated as they become when you get older. Um, so I always remember as a child, like loving the arts, loving like, you know, the expression of just creativity in school and then outside of school. Um, I've always kind of loved books and reading. And I think education, like that type of education, the formal part of it, really became a part of who I was because that's what my parents were like pushing me towards. But it's also something that I feel, I feel like I, I love just learning. So that was always, I think, a big part of my identity. Now, being a black young girl, Um, I don't think it's something that I was something like, it wasn't something that I was aware of in the sense that I understood what it meant to be black in the way that I do now. And also didn't understand at the time how to articulate a lot of the shame that was projected on me because I was black. So I'd say that sense of identity was a lot more like fluid than it is now where I can kind of put terms and kind of categorize it. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think the sense of identity wasn't something that I actually developed until I was in my teens. Yeah, definitely. And looking at your background, especially with the black curriculum, when I was looking into things, I can see that the black curriculum isn't necessarily something that came out of the blue. It looks like it was something that was long in the works through things you've done for probably from school and we can get into like exclusion and things like that. And then, um, at SOAS, being a working class officer, 
going on your trip and then black curriculum it's been like a series of things that have all culminated and led you to where you are right now which 100%. is so cool and um i believe that who we are now just a sum total basically of what the things we've gone through in the past so it's always interesting to find out about um upbringings you know backgrounds and see where people are from to see how mm. that may have played a role into who mm. you've come become today mm. um when you talk about your education, you said that you liked you liked learning in a particular way, like yeah. you liked you know books and you were into the arts and things like that. But then you're pushed into more of the formal education, mm-hmm. which, well, it's the, you know, it's the education system we grew up in. Um, do you know Sir Ken Robinson? No. So he's Wait, quite Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah, he just yeah. I think he, I don't know when he got knighted, but Ken Robinson. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he passed away sometime in recent years. I can't remember exactly when. But he was an educator as well. Um, mm. And what he advocated for was for, he wasn't a fan of the formal education system, essentially. He said that he advocated and said that the formal education system strips away the creativity from our children, mm. where we're taught comprehension and things like that, but we're not taught to think creatively. Yes. We're told what the answers are. And, you know, it, it sort of strips away, like your child, that sort of childlike nature mm. um, that you speak about yourself and your upbringing. Do you feel like, with you yourself so you've you've always loved learning but you've loved learning in your own sort of way and then we go into formal education and maybe i don't know you can tell me if i'm wrong but you may have become disillusioned with the education to some degree and then ended up being excluded for you know for whatever reason um do you feel that the formal education especially growing up just you know do you feel like it helped it wasn't for you do you think it um how was that experience for you generally that schooling did you schooling for you well, I'd say when I started at primary school, I went to uh, I went to two primary schools, two secondary schools. So my first primary school was mainly Afro-Caribbean, and I loved it. Like it was just it was called New Life. It was like a Christian school. We were just just ourselves, and I don't remember feeling like oh, I don't belong here. I think if that, if anything, it was more that kind of reaction to like okay, why do we have to do assemblies and why do we have to pray at a certain time? So I think a reaction to that sense of like authority and rigidity was always there. Um, but I love the school environment and the teachers, etc. Now, when I went to the second primary school, um, things were also okay, but it became clearer to me um, that I, yeah, I, I valued expression, and I think there was something in that school that wasn't in my first primary school that allowed you to just be really raw and authentic, and you weren't punished for just for that. Um, whereas in the previous school, like sometimes yeah I got my ear twisted and I remember my mum was just so mad and she went down to the school and really kind of told off that teacher um but I think yeah this idea that formal especially primary education is a place where you allow that expression is really key because I've seen um through not my experience but you know people I studied with and also family how if you don't allow that expression to happen at that early age and you penalise it, the kind of trajectory that can take you on. So I was quite fortunate. Now, when I went to secondary school, again, very kind of um, separate experiences. The first school was a private school, very posh, very white. And, you know, I like, I, I'd done my books. I studied, I've done, you know, done really well, top sets and everything. But culturally, <laughs> it, like there was a lot of, unspoken things and things I couldn't communicate because of fear of getting in trouble um not only with my mum who had sacrificed a lot for me to go there but also to explain to teachers well this is what I is right um you you know you're young you're fearless and I think that is a challenge sometimes for people in authority because they this they're used to being predicated on stability and like the status quo um, and I think to come from a working class background, to come from a background where I'm actually encouraged in my family to speak up, it was a challenge to be in that environment. And then, um, yeah, I was excluded. Um, and I, I do a big shock because I think now I'm just like, well, your loss. I think at the time I carried the sense of shame, like um, formal education is something that you're supposed to do. And, you know, like private school is important and your education is your life and it was just like this big piece of shame that you carry on you but it's like your education if it's not suited to who you are 
you won't thrive and that that doesn't mean that it's your fault or it's something that you're to be blamed for and I think that is something that a lot of students that I've seen carried so yeah I was also excluded from my second school for not the same reason I think the first school in hindsight kind of put me on a trajectory of like that shame as I said and I was kind of living up to the perceptions that were put on me and then um I went to a PRU so yeah formal education state schools private schools I've done it all and I've seen how it can shape your identity so I hope that answers part of your question yeah answers it perfectly you know what there's so much to even unpack in just the answer there and there um, and I could go in so many different directions. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we get there, so you mentioned earlier on that you, it was in your teens we started to develop this sense of identity. Was it mm. during, were you, is this when you started to learn about Black British history? And was this all in the midst of, the, you know, these issues, you know, the school exclusion, everything like that? Was that at that point in time when you were starting to develop that identity and find yourself? Mm. So you've actually just like, helped me think about this in a different way. Um, it wasn't when I was in school and it wasn't when I was out of school. It happened when actually I chose to go back into education at age 15. I wanted it because I knew that that was something that I could do, something that I could excel at. And even though I had been told and narrated these stories that, oh, like, Lavinia, she's, you know, too headstrong, whatever, I always felt that education, I had a chance there. So when I chose to go back, which I think is really important in that sense of identity. You have to, as an individual, like want something and be ready for that. I went to college and I was started to, you know, I started to be exposed to like different um, ideologies away from just like your textbook feminism. Um, I had like this teacher, I can't remember her name, but she was um, what they would call like a white liberal. But she was teaching us decolonization. I couldn't spell it. I was like, I get it. And I, I feel, I understand like where this is coming from. So. I, on my own journey, started to kind of look into that more. Um, at the time, I think there was like a, you know, I said actually thank you to this person because she was really influential as a friend. She was exposing me to a lot of music um, that was talking about these these ideas and concepts. So it was like almost like in my personal life, I was like going on that journey of like, um, yeah, Pan-Africanism, just understanding blackness globally more. And then academically, I was going to LSE to listen to people from South Africa talk about decolonization in context. It was like this world of like, this new world of just learning about justice. And um, yeah, it was just amazing. So yeah, I was like 15, yeah, 16 at the time. Maybe not 16, I lied. Maybe 17. Yeah, 17. Super interesting. What was it about? All of you know the conscious music and the pan-Africanism, the LSE, maybe your friends, if influences and that kind of thing. What was it about learning about those things that you know really drew you in? If you know what I'm saying, like why yeah. was it the identity it's, piece? It's meaning. It gives meaning to your life. It gives meaning. It gave meaning to me from where where I was and what I had experienced. I'd been in the world and I had seen what self-hate looks like I, I'd seen what being outside and being disenfranchised looked like and I felt at the time I couldn't articulate it but I consciously knew that this path that I was on it was empty and there's so much more meaning in the world and I don't remember having this conversation myself but I remember like being exposed and I think also the seeds were sown from ages ago my dad my mum you know, conversations with family and um, family friends were always there. So it's almost like I had the space and I had that willingness to allow that to germinate. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because I can maybe reflect, not reflect, and relate on a personal level. My journey is a bit different to yours, but when I was probably around a similar age to you, I guess, maybe when I was about college, getting into college, just before college, about 15, 16, 17, around those ages there, because similar to you, I liked, I love reading. Like I've always been into my books growing up. Nice. And it was around that period of time where I started reading a lot more um, black literature. So mm -hmm. I was reading, also, I, I read a bit about, you know, colonialism and that kind of thing, but I, t I tend not to read too much of that literature just because I don't like reading into it too much, basically. I mean, yeah. I know it's happened and everything like that. And obviously, you know, I get it, but 
I like to read positive stuff, basically. Mm. You know, like once mm. I've once I've got the gist of the story, I get it, and then mm. learn about the intricacies about of how bad colonialism and things like that were, didn't necessarily, you know, ignite anything inside of me per se. It might it might make me think right. a certain way. Maybe you feel a bit angry and everything that everything that, that that's happened, um, but. For me, I like to read like biographies and just like positive material. And I, I started reading like about Kwame Nkrumah, started reading about Martin Luther King. It was all overseas figures, no one even from here in the UK really, because you don't really see much, much from people over here. But reading about all these different overseas figures and thinking, wow, like this is so sick. It's and, it's, and it's empowering. It's, mm. it's super empowering. You read and you feel like, wow, like, mm. wow, you just feel so good about yourself. And that was me. And yeah. I feel like it's you know it's played a very important role in my own life and sometimes you don't even clock at the time it's until later on you might look back and be like oh wow okay i can see how this that this that has all added together and that's why mm. i'm here now so i don't mm. know if that's the same view like as i'm asking you now um i don't know if you already knew or you're looking back like oh yeah oh yeah this <laughs> done that. oh yeah that's that's yeah. quite cool those are all like pivotal mm. things that all added together and have all yeah. played a role in who yeah. in who i am today mm. basically absolutely like being in university was one of those spaces as well because all that knowledge that i had kind of got outside of uni not with the music and then those little debates i was going to outside then coming in to study african studies it was like okay there's this worldly space there's this academic space that's really just theoretical and people just blah 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 blah. they talk but where's the action and i had seen what that could look like so coming in was like where's the back british history <laughs> mm. and we set up like myself and the co-founder of art and african mind which is the society we co-founded we used to like do these um what's it called like i can't remember the word for it but we basically do like sessions to get people to learn black british history sometimes we'll have like two people sometimes it'll be like seven and we didn't care it was just like we, we need to know your history like we had that kind of just like you know um tunnel vision with it because it's like it's exciting as you said and you just feel like so whole when you learn and you want to share that with people you know so yeah yeah that's so cool and uh, so you went to so i don't know if you just mentioned it there but you went to so yeah. you studied the uh, african studies and then speaking of you now i guess it makes sense why you've gone down that route and studied the african studies yeah. when you were at so so you became i don't know if you like the label or not but like sort of like an activist would you would that be a fair label yeah. to use? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you became, you've done some activism work at, at SOAS. Mm. I read about the hashtag that way campaign. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> which looked so cool uh, when I read about it. And I was like, yeah, that's sick. Uh, could you talk a bit about that and what your motivations were behind starting that? Yeah. Um, well, I'll start by saying, first of all, the that way campaign would not be possible without people of colour officer, it wouldn't be possible, wouldn't have been possible without the support of a good friend at the time. So I had a, a community around me who were helping me with my own kind of like um, academic and mental health issues when, when it comes to studying in an institution like SOAS, to be able to have the space to campaign for other students who didn't have that time. So that's the first thing. So basically we, um, in 2017-18 academic year, ran for um, the working class officer, which I shared with a girl called Valeria. And essentially what that post meant is that you advocate and kind of speak, for, I guess, speak for um, and support students who come from working class backgrounds. And, you know, there's all these different kind of ways that they calculate that but ultimately it's if your household income was under 25,000 um, and it's a post that was kind of it wasn't active as much before and I felt that there was an opportunity for us to kind of like be more present on campus because some like somewhere like SOAS you have a lot of international students who are not from working class backgrounds who aren't black and I was like okay there needs to be representation for people like me um, but also international students who also don't have like any kind of support in the country who come from those backgrounds too. So I took it really seriously. Um, needless to say, someone had found out that there was no, actually, I think in discussions with people, the people of colour officer said to me, 
oh, two or three people haven't got this bursary that you're eligible for. And I was like, hmm, okay, let's just like continue asking people. And we just found out there were so many people who just weren't getting this bursary that by law, when you're enrolled in university, you have to get it, right? So we've done loads of research. I was like, we have to do this campaign. Um, I think the name came to me because I was like, oh yeah, okay, funny story. It was the same time as Migos, um, mm, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. But that was the way that I felt I wanted the university to go. So yeah, I was like, this is the way that I think the university should go. It's called that way. So yeah, um, planned this like campaign to have the university compensate the 92 students who didn't have access to this bursary. Um, so we've done like a whole of like information-based campaigns, put up like posters around the uni. They were taken down as we put them up. Um, emails were sent around to all students by myself and my other um, co- like the co-officer. And we were just being discredited by management. So we decided, fine, we're just going to go to do a campaign. Um, on the stairs, we had megaphones. And by chance, we saw the Chancellor of SOAS literally the same minute and demanded for that, that money to come and literally mobilised all the university. I remember there were so many students and teachers who were like, yeah, you know, give them money. And yeah, we got the money. Um, they instituted it like weeks after the campaign and students were even backdated. So if you were in your third year, imagine you were compensated for that year, your second year and also your third year. Mm-hmm. So it was a huge victory. All right. Okay. So you said the teachers or management were taking down the posters. That sounds nuts. <laughs> they didn't want to see you guys win at all. Did not. What was like, did you guys just highlight the problem? And did you like take it to the school and then not hear nothing back in the trailblade and say, okay, you know what, we're just going to campaign and do what we've got to do anyway? Is that why you're getting that kind of resistance? Well, I think firstly, within the student union, like on based on previous roles and what people had done in the past, there were these views that like, okay, management's not going to listen to you, nothing's going to happen. So yeah, good luck. I was like, not happy with that. I was like, you can't be pessimistic when there's money here, where there's students like not getting what they deserve. So I felt that we needed to go the step further and actively get their like get their attention and also their commitment to doing it because it's enough just saying, okay, yeah, we hear you. Like, what's next? And I think that yeah, that was really the essence of what we were seeking. It was like we want this money by this date, you know. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When you say, like, we hear you, okay, what's next? And you spoke a bit before about action pieces as well, because this performative allyship thing is not great, man. I'm not a fan of it. It's like the black square thing, which I talk about sometimes. I was not not a fan of that kind of nonsense when I saw it. It's just very performative, but there's no action behind it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, if you hear us, cool, great. Let's let's work together and make something happen. Then, if Do you, re- you know, if you really care. So, but that campaign sounds really cool. What? Where was the? Where did that drive come from to challenge these kind of inequalities that you're seeing? Um. Well, I think there is more than one answer, and I'd say. That as a person, I've always been quite challenging, if that, not challenging, but I've always challenged things as a young person. Um, I remember instances like just even going home one day, I saw this person outside my house. I was like seven. And I just, I don't know, I just had this feeling that they were just doing something. So I was like, oh, went up to them. I was like, look, if you feel like you're going to rob my house, mm. like you've got another thing coming. I just, I remember that kind of like that inner strength has always been there. Um, I remember that so clearly, but I also feel like there is a sense of like anger from the exclusions, from the way that these institutions have kind of written me off. And I've seen the way that they've written off people that I know. And I just think that like I've kind of carried around this sense of like, you guys are not going to get away with this, like, continually around with me. So I, I kind of feel like it's, it comes, it's reactive as much as it is proactive. Maybe not equally, but there is, yeah, I'd say there is that kind of duality. Yeah, yeah. And probably also a sense of your upbringing as well. When you mentioned when you're younger, growing up, you're always encouraged to speak up and challenge, challenge 
Um, so I guess all of that probably plays a role into my whole work. family's bold. Literally, my mom's bold, my grandma's bold. They're all bold. So yeah, yeah. Sometimes in life, you know, you got to be like that, anyways, man. Sometimes you got to kind of force the issue or just trailblaze a bit. You know, be bold and do your thing. Exactly. Say what's in your mind um, in order to make things happen. Sometimes, because mm. sometimes people, people, institutions aren't going to budge until you, you know, Push. make a ruckus. Exactly. <laughs> so you do what you got to do. Mm. All right. So, all of these experiences, yeah, your school, your SOAS, the, the material you're consuming, all of this has played a role into starting up the Black curriculum. Yeah, you even spoke about when you were teaching Black history in SOAS, and sometimes only like a couple of people were there. Like that's literally black, the Black curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> the early yeah. days when it wasn't called the Black curriculum, but yeah. the early days of it. So before you actually founded the Black curriculum, yeah, you went to New Zealand, right? Yes. Can you talk about that experience? Yes, that life-changing experience. So whilst I was at SOAS, there was um, a lecturer who was like to me, well, I've got this opportunity, I think you should apply. So I looked at the application, it was like, oh, you can go to anywhere in Australia or New Zealand and instantly, like, I was like New Zealand is where I want to go. Um, and yeah, it basically gave me the opportunity to study um, in New Zealand for a semester. Um, so I chose the University of Waikato, which is in Hamilton in the North Island, um, particularly because it's a Maori university. And I was like, I'm going all the way to New Zealand. I, like, I'm going to see Maori people, right? Um, so I wanted to just learn their history, learn about their culture. And yeah, so I got the scholarship um, and I left in. So, you know, when you break up from university, it's like your summer holiday and then you go back in the autumn. Well, I took yeah. that summer to study. Um and it was really great. I, I studied Lando, Kapahaka, which is the national dance. And then also, um, I think there was a, another module that I took on, um, like cosmology or something like that. And it was a really immersive experience. I remember just feeling like I belong in the space with everyone else that's here because even though it was short, and you kind of have in the back of your head that I'm leaving, it's like, whilst you're here, you're present because like, this is, this is the, the walls that are around you is here to kind of like commemorate history and Maori history. And you have the teacher right in front of you who has like a whole like lineage behind her of like Maori fighters and Maori's who have con like contributed to their community and were proud in their culture. So it was like, it's hard to escape this place because everywhere you look, everything you feel is Maori based, it's on their culture and yeah. So yeah, I was taking trips outside to my friends' like families' houses, which they call like marais or community kind of, um, not community centers, but community housing, I guess. Um, and it was just like immersive, it was beautiful. Um, and I think also in absence of having other black people around me, I mean, I did have one friend from Nigeria who was there, but aside from that, I think it helped me to realize who I was and why my culture is so important in the midst of a beautiful culture. So I was like, I had like my Bible at the time, which was um, Rani Edo Lodges, um, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Yeah. I had that literally with me everywhere. I was like, you've got to see this. <laughs> and it was like my protection. Um, and yeah, I just remember just feeling just like, we need something that is just around us 360 all the time in these countries that have like taken it away from us. Like you think about it, the connection, and I was thinking about this a lot of the time, the connection between our experiences and Maori experiences is that that there's just a difference with the land, right? But everything else is very similar in terms of the, the uh, I guess, the experience of colonialism. But, um, yeah, you know, we're in England, so this isn't technically our land. However, we do have that shared experience of colonialism and all the other things that come with it. So I was like, okay, we need a timeline. I was thinking really, like, small there. Like, let's do a timeline to map out the similarities. And my friend at the time was like, bigger than that man like you know you want to do something but you could do something much more bigger and I was just like okay and then yeah a couple of weeks later I just 
like I'm not gonna lie and sit here and be like I remember the date and the time but I do remember writing down in a book in one of my lectures that I'm gonna create the black curriculum and we spent like the next couple nights just like fleshing that idea out and it was in New Zealand that I applied for the grant that was our first grant for the black curriculum as a company so yeah that's where it all happened because I think it was just so immersive yeah yeah that sounds so cool that sounds like a proper really sick experience so yeah some, I think sometimes these kind of trips can be really life-altering life-changing my, my wife went to Kenya oh, some time back a few years ago and mm. she was talking about how much of a life life-changing experience that was for her as well like mm. being immersed in the Maasai culture she was there mm. for how long maybe maybe similar to you maybe like the summer kind of it might have been like a six weeks or so I can't remember um mm. but I spoke about how much of a life-changing experience that was for her and working so, with like some of the local entrepreneurs and like living with the Maasai people and everything like that and um yeah I think those kind of trips can be very eyeful for him sounds amazing. really cool uh, yeah do you still remember the, the dance oh god I do because <laughs> <laughs> I do and I remember the songs as well um because we had to do a performance at the end so we were practicing every day wow wow yeah you can give us the 1000 voice exclusive <laughs> um, i think about that <laughs> cool cool maybe another time <laughs> all right so you've come back to the uk yeah and you're like, you're like cool right we're going to start the black curriculum you've written it down you've manifested it and you've got to work and you've got your first grant which is really cool from new zealand was it a new zealand based company that no, so I, d- I applied whilst I was in New Zealand for a UK grant oh okay okay cool yeah. all right you've come to the UK and you're mm. going to start the black curriculum now mm-hmm. how did you go about like building out the curriculum in the first space well so we had this money <laughs> we didn't actually have the money physically then but I had the idea and I was like I know I'm getting the money because it's been approved so it was now about how do I get people around me to get behind this idea because I wasn't even thinking social media I wasn't thinking like I don't know you've got to set up a like a legal entity I wasn't thinking that way I was thinking more people how do we get this into schools how do we get this idea into society so I remember um telling my friends and acquaintances at the time uh, about it whilst I was studying and they were like yeah man, let's do a conference like let's 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 do it so I was planning this conference and um at the time I even spoke to a, an older lady who has been so supportive like from uni days and she was like what do you mean you're going to a conference like you need to have an you need to have an action before you bring people to you so I was like okay, good 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 point so let me take it a step back and develop content. So I, I rallied some of my acquaintances to develop this curriculum. Um, also went to a conference um, around like the place of black British history. And I, I remember feeling really kind of like, do you know when you're just burning to talk in a conference, but I just mm-hmm. like, I can't say anything. Cause there was like people on the panel saying, yeah, black British history should be in the curriculum. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's so weird because I saw a friend who I, who I went to school with in the crowd. And I was like, oh, she has a group of black women. And um, yeah, regularly every month kind of meets with them. So she was like, um, come along to the next one. And I think that's how I met Bethany and Lisa, who helped in the beginning, were really instrumental, in fact, in terms of actually kind of fleshing out what does this curriculum look like? the timing of when we're going to go into the schools. So between like, I'd say between February, or say like, let's say March to August, we had like this curriculum phase of it just being built, developed. And it was literally three of us at the time. And um, we're like kind of overseeing the, the process of the freelancers creating it. And we had about nine freelancers just, to, you know, developing this curriculum whilst there were two other girls that I was studying with, that I had studied with, literally cold calling schools across the country saying, we've got this curriculum ready for you. It wasn't ready. But <laughs> <laughs> in September, like, we've got this thing for you. Are you going to take it? And yeah, like, so yeah, things are like in development. And yeah, it was, yeah. That's real cool. That's real cool. Shout out to, uh, what was it, Bethany and... Sorry. Bethany and Lisa. Shout out to Bethany yeah. and Lisa. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's real sick. 
And you know, I keep forgetting to mention you because even all of your answers, I feel like there's a lot to unpack. But I went to Birkbeck actually. So I was like around oh, the corner from Sewas. Yeah, yeah, literally right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I done my masters there at Birkbeck. Yeah, so I've, I've been to the Sewas SU in that a few times and that. Oh so. my gosh, you might cross yeah. paths one of those. Maybe, maybe. I think <laughs> I done. I went a bit after you probably graduated though. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper cool. All right, so there and then you guys are building out and that kind of thing. Yeah, and you're your cold calling schools doing yeah. your thing what's the reception been like um from the school you've delivered it at and also in particularly particular the children or the kids that oh, you're yeah. delivering the cook yeah. and the kids on the kid aspect as well yeah both from black kids and non-black kids as well what's the the feedback been like right so i jumped i jumped there because whilst we were doing the cold calling with the schools at the same time i was like we're going to take this straight to parents so I don't even know. How did we meet the parents? <sighs> I can't even remember, but we found people. Mm. Maybe through the social media, yeah. We built a social media profile and there was parents who were following us. And um, in the September, I wanted to do um, like a session that involved music um, on Saturday so that the parents, like a Saturday school essentially, so the parents could bring their, their children. And yeah, that was the first time the Black Curriculum interacted with the wider world. And it was there that it was clear, like, we recorded the session and everything, it's on YouTube. It was clear that this was something that there's appetite for, hunger for, demand for. Mm. And the, the students were saying, like, yeah, it was cool. Like, when you, when you have a child saying, that was cool... <laughs> Like yeah. that means a like it's, it's a lot, do you know what I mean? Because children can be they're they're so real, and you're not gonna have like an unfiltered, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, I most of our scores, you know, we had these feedback sheets. Our scores are like four out of five. <laughs> they want to give us five. It was like four out of five. And I was like, okay, like you know, we're onto something. So the students were saying at the time, like you know, I really needed this, and I remember one of the students' parents inboxed us like maybe three months after saying, yeah, like after the session, my son had started a Black British History Book Club. I'm thinking, wow, like wow. just that Amazing. session, you know. Um, but he must have, you know, had that in him as well, like to want to do that. So I think it's, that's exactly it. It's getting young people to a place where they have their own ideas and can like, share their ideas around black history it's yeah so yeah it was amazing to see the response so early at that time this was 2019 and then we went to schools white students were saying yeah like of course some of them were shy don't get me wrong they were shy like who are you mm-hmm. um where's this going but i think once they got into it we had white students also say to us like yep i need i like i, I need this i can see the importance of it um you know, they were writing raps. So, yeah, it's all, all good. Sounds good. Sounds good. You know what? Yeah, I get, yeah, I get people would be shy. People don't like to talk about race. And to be fair, it can be an awkward subject to talk about. Yeah. Um, especially if you're, well, if you're the black person, I can talk from a black person perspective. And like when you're one of the only ones in the room and to now have to bring up the topic of race, it, it can be very awkward. You, you don't want to be perceived in a certain way or you just don't want to be that guy, isn't it? Like if, <laughs> if someone asks you, then cool, great, I can talk about my experience, but now yeah. for me to now come bring it out. So yeah, I think it's, it's always an awkward thing. And um, with the black curriculum, I suppose in a way you're sort you're putting it out there and maybe in a way it gets people a bit more comfortable so that we can talk about these kind of issues as well. Because it's important to be able to talk about our experiences and our issues and to talk about our backgrounds yeah. and our cultures and be proud about it, not feel exactly. a certain type of way talking about exactly. who you are and where you come from. Yeah. Um, very empowering. And it's really cool to hear about that boy that when he started his own the book club as well. That's sick. Yep, more yeah. luck to him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Big him up, man. That's sick. Uh, so uh, so with the... Um, so actually, I've got here, yeah. Uh, I've got it open. You're, I read the what's it called the impact report the 2021 impact report that okay. so, so sick yeah well when i say i, I read it i saw i got uh, it was off your social media oh. <laughs> just a little uh, little page in it but basically 2021 you reached 1800 young people directly six over six thousand teachers and senior leaders across the uk and 200 schools in over 12 countries so good big yeah. up to you and you and the team that's so sick like really thank good you 
Yeah. Um, Thank you. What's the, what does the curriculum look like now? So we've actually branched, we've, I was in branch, oh yeah, we branched like a little tree um, to do different things. So the curriculum was something that we developed in the beginning and it was us, <laughs> like we were the ones that were going to schools to take it. But then as you grow, obviously you can't physically do that with every school. Um, you kind of need a different model and, you know. So yeah, we kind of looked at other ways to start reaching teachers and we offer them training, audits, with, you know, books, different types of resources. So our curriculum, I wouldn't say it's one thing at the moment. There's so many different components because we've had to grow. Um, but yeah, we're, we're definitely kind of going to revise a curriculum that teachers can actually just use. Um, that, that fits within as well what they're teaching. So it's not just like, here's black history. Okay, like how does that relate to what I'm teaching? And if it, if it doesn't relate, they can't use it. So yeah, yeah. We've, had, we've learned a lot of things, let's say along, along the journey. Yeah, yeah. That's a very entrepreneurial way to look at the, your business, the black curriculum. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, this might be controversial in it, but look, we as a community have to be okay with making money like i think it's it's about the heart obviously and for me i wasn't making money in the beginning like this is coming out of my pocket but i think as we've grown it's become more important to me because this is value we're adding value to society and sometimes we don't actually have the like the means to kind of quantify like quantify what that looks like but i know that it's bringing value so i'm unashamedly entrepreneurial in my approach to this um and ultimately if you you know if you want to reach the world you've got to be able to scale yeah, right? yeah for so, sure yeah for sure for sure i mean when i say entrepreneurial i don't say it like in a bad way um in a good yeah, way no, no, no. Yeah. i know i know <laughs> you meant it in a good way but i just <laughs> yeah. i just want to make sure that everyone kind of understands why you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's like you think about it in different when I say because when I say entrepreneurs like you think about different creative ways in which we can further amplify mm. the impact we're making so it's like yes. and that's very entrepreneurial it's creativity in a sense like building yes. stuff out because you've started started the thing up and um at first it was going to be a conference and then you <laughs> <laughs> and then you've built up like a curriculum around it um yeah. maybe there's gonna be a timeline a timeline first well, <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a timeline and a conference and it's built up incrementally over time, maybe through yeah. some outf- outside influence, like the old woman you spoke to, yes. um, or just through, I don't know, would you call it necessity? Just ways ways to further amplify what you're doing. Okay, we're doing this. Okay, we can also offer trainings. We can also do this. We can also do that. It's a very it's creativity and entrepreneurship. And um, I think it's definitely a good way to approach any kind of endeavor we do, even if it's a nine to five job, entrepreneurship, approach things creative, creatively, yes. build out and think about ways you can, further provide the impact you're so making true. thank Add- you for highlighting that it's so true yes yeah, it's, it's all good <laughs> it's all good adding extra value and everything and um to be fair like it's, i mean people don't have to pay or use it if they don't want to <laughs> you're, you're offering value it's so true. and it's for them yeah. to now if they find it valuable then cool they take you up on your service if they don't find it valuable then they won't Fine. take you up on your service so yeah. cool i mean it is what it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah so with um, the Black Curriculum as well, yeah, so you've been building that up for a while as well, and you've had quite, seems like quite a bit of interest um, in what you and the team are doing. Amazing work, but what you and the team are doing, whether that's like uh, press and press or just, I don't know, socials or people talking about what you guys are doing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Has that been largely organic as well? Has it been like you've just been building out and then just get people reaching out to you? We have proudly never paid for an ad, never like, okay I have inboxed people like can you repost this please like Mm. especially in the early days I really wanted to kind of like build trust in the community but like everything's been organic from the beginning and it's not to say like oh like it it means we're like better than other organizations or it's 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 just to point out that this we filled a gap that didn't exist right and I think that that demand and that surge in attention only is there because we've been needing this for so long and that that's it yeah yeah and was that the same with the virgil um rip or was that the same with the virgil um collab as well so virgil was our patron he was our first patron and he came along after 2020 so when everyone started to learn about the back curriculum um and yeah like 
he raised a, he done a fundraiser that was raising money for the black curriculum and another charity called inquest and then on the back of that became our patron um yeah he accepted and then you know through conversation we was like we want to do something with you like a collab and he was like have a better idea let's do it with british vogue and yeah he went off and she started designing the t-shirt that same meeting like in the meeting I was like, are you listening? He's like, yeah, I'm just designing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, rest in peace. So yeah, his yeah that campaign came about through his work directly with the Black Curriculum. Yeah. So cool, so cool. Uh, and you spoke 2020. That's when everybody found out about Black Curriculum, or when you know things amplified. And obviously, I'm guessing that's off the back of the George Floyd murder in the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. What was that period like for you per- on a personal level? Do you- what was that like for you personally? And then after that, what was that like for the black curriculum as well? Boy, I think that end of May, June was just, wow, we're actually coming to that period now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. wow, we are. Wow, two years. Um, it was heavy. Like, I just, I remember feeling collectively like everyone else just tired, just, just emotionally, mentally just tired, def- like defeated in a way. Um, particularly in the first few days and like I said to my team we've got to do something like we've got to do a campaign because there's a lot of people who not only are speaking about this in a way where it's like oh it's America but that like what are they how are they understanding that this experience is tied to what we're taught so I said there's something that we could do here and my team came up with the idea to do a 22 day campaign at the same time, that coincided with um, George Floyd's murder, right? Because it came, it came off that, so it was bittersweet. But then at the same time, it was like an opportunity for us to educate. So coming back to our mission, and I think when, because we were aligned in that, and it happened at a time where people's minds were just like, got to learn, got to do everything, and, you know, consuming a lot, especially online. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of followers, like the Instagram blew up, our inboxes blew up, our everything just, just went from this to that. And it was a time like no other. I remember I didn't sleep. <laughs> I wasn't sleeping. Um, there was interviews that I was doing like daily. Da, 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 da. Like It was just a new world for me. So I'd say like probably, out, yeah, it probably became a new person two years ago, May. I haven't. I don't think I fully even adjusted to the reality of what happened then. Um, and yeah, as you know, as a team, that, and we're still feeling it, it takes a lot of adjustment. Like any organization needs to go through periods of growth strategically, and we weren't afforded that luxury. So yeah, it's, it's sad that all of that came from a time of someone's death and then crippled us with more exhaustion. Um, but then I guess on the bright side, there's a lot that we can be thankful for, um, particularly with our mission. So, yeah, it's a it's a hard one. Definitely. I feel with that, the George Floyd murder, that was a ripple effect throughout the whole world. And mm-hmm. with a lot of people I speak to on here, because um, most people I speak to on here are going to be business owners, actually, or 3,000 Voices, or some professionals as well. And most people that I've spoken to about this have had um, a massive upsurge in whatever business they're running at yeah. the time and it was short-lived yeah. um, or if they're professionals they've had all of a sudden randomly like people reaching out to them and I don't know trying to talk to them or whatever not necessarily I don't mean talk to them in a sense on a personal level like, how are you I mean like talk to them for an mm. interview kind of thing mm. um, and then again that dries up again and yeah because it's from guilt yeah yeah which which I'm not really a fan of now because <laughs> it's it just it's just very performative you know like I think exactly. people should latch on to uh, do you know Simon Sinek? No. So uh, he's got a very, very good book, which I'd highly recommend. Start with Why. Um, not, not as good as your book, we'll get into in a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a proper good book. And he talks about how the best organizations start with why, like what they believe in and everything like that. Um, he's got a very good TED talk on YouTube, which you can check out as well. But yeah. it's, it's so good. One of the best I've read. And he talks about organizations and individual people as well. So using Martin Luther, Martin Luther King as an example and says that he had a dream. He didn't have a plan. He had a dream and people latched onto his dream and what he believed in. And when we, um, what's the word, look back at this, the Black Lives Matter movement and everything like that. If people, people, if people really believed 
in the why, what you stand mm. for, what you're doing, mm. then it wouldn't be short-lived. Mm. It wouldn't be like a, a short burst and then back to normal. Mm. But the fact that that happens means that a lot of it will just be, it will just sort of like a knee-jerk reaction. Mm. Oh, wait, let's quickly look for some black organizations to support or to put on our social media or to talk to or to interview or blah, blah, whatever, whatever. And it's bittersweet, like you said, in a sense where it's like, obviously, yeah. all these organizations have their own missions and their own things they're working mm-hmm. towards. Um, so, of course, that it helps a hell of a lot in helping to achieve and amplify the impacts the organizations are making. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it's like, it's so performative and it doesn't 100%. sit right. It doesn't sit right because it's like, okay, you've reached out to me because you need a black face on your social media, basically. Um, yeah. And after a few months time now, that that's all that has dried up. Sales are back to normal. The reaching out, people reaching out, is all dried up again. It's super performative. It's like, you don't really, really believe then, do you? You know, in what we're doing and what we stand for. Mm-hmm. So, that whole period, I wasn't really a big fan of... When I've seen the black squares, I was not a fan of it, man. No. <laughs> not a fan. Everybody and their dog had a black square. Uh-huh. But I think what your, your sentiments are so true. And, yeah, it's not, sustain, it's not sustainable. And if you don't believe in what we're doing, then why should you be afforded the, the privilege of being associated with us? Because that, in and of itself, is, help, is helping you. <laughs> like, not the opposite. It's helping you so yeah 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 definitely with you yeah i get the vibe that you're very much a doer like i don't yeah. know if you'd say that's that's right or wrong but yeah, yeah. read me like a book yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah i get that vibe from you what would you attribute that to have you always been like that been always independent i wouldn't say always but like i've yeah i've grown up largely independent i've had you know had to do things for myself had to create a life for myself so yeah i think it's just who i am yeah. yeah cool all right and then let's talk about one thing you're doing right now you're working on your book omitted which yeah. is um yeah i had a read of the synopsis actually it's on the waterstones website and everything and i'm sure it's all over the place but it looks really cool it looks like a like a well actually no i'll let you explain it first yeah. <laughs> okay you tell me tell us about the book right so omitted is a book that basically is about black histories across the world but as it relates to black british history and it uses aspects of my experiences particularly with activism to educate the reader in on those parts of history and then what we can do about it now so that the future is better so it's almost like using history as a vehicle for understanding a new world or a new way of putting ourselves at the front line of history and not behind so yeah i see it as like i kind of want the outcome of everyone who reads it to be like okay yeah i can actually go and create this and i know it sounds so cheesy but that's like that's it that's it yeah yeah when i was looking at it i just sort of felt like it's an offshoot or like an extra as you say part to black curriculum in a way because now you're reaching with black curriculum you're working with schools and students and that and yes. with this now you can reach new people you can further like push out the message you know and it's a good message and yes. people do need to hear these kind of things so you can sort of further push out that message and everything like that so that's so cool so just to reiterate you said it's about looking at the looking at history sorry no it's cool so it's like looking at history and then learning lessons from is it what black british history and then learn lessons yes. from it yes Okay. So it's Black British history, but then it it draws on global history because I'm trying to kind of get away from this little England idea. Um, yeah, I think it's important that we just make it make it global and tie those stories together. Have you written anything like this before? No, I mean, yeah. kind of, not really like on the scale, but I have written more academic pieces, mm. but nothing that uses my story and black history to get, it's, yeah, it's a completely different thing. What's the writing process like? <laughs> it's a lot of work, it's a lot of work as you can imagine because there's so many different threads that actively you have to remember. So I remember starting the first chapter, I was like, okay, cool, it's a history book, I'm just gonna start the history, I'm gonna just do research. And I, I was doing the research and um, my editors were like, this is kind of dry. <laughs> <laughs> like it's good but like where are you in this so you need to think about your your narrative so it's like 
when you have a hand on the it's like multitasking you have a hand on the history and the research and then you start to find your voice and then you have a hand on your voice but then you also have to have a hand on like where's where's the overarching goal in this so it's almost like a a puzzle that you're always working and like moving around and then obviously you have days where your mind isn't like also running a business your mind isn't doing all of those things so it definitely requires space and um yeah um it's yeah it's a really interesting process i'm learning a lot so yeah yeah can't wait for it to come out i think it's uh, a when did- 2023 spring, spring. yeah cool cool definitely man definitely check that out people um i'm sure it's going to be super good and i'm definitely i've pre-ordered it so yeah, yeah it's going to be really good looking forward to it in black british history what's your favorite historical event or person good question hmm, hmm. i i'm probably gonna say Can I have two? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I've got I've got a person. Um, just because I, d- I didn't know her, obviously, but I just feel like when I read about her life, when I read about what she stood for, I'm like, okay, I think we would have got along. <laughs> so <laughs> her name's Olive Morris, and mm. um, she grew up in... She was born in Jamaica, came to South London, and her work was, was predicated on... What I see is not just campaigning, it's about advocating for a better life for black black women and it also included Asian women. Um, she grew up in you know the seventies at a time where politically political blackness was you know the way of, of life. And for those that don't know, political blackness is um, you know, includes black Asians, like people who are non white essentially. Um, so she advocated for their wellness through housing and employment and the way she done it to me seemed like she didn't have anything to lose and mm. and I like that it's like if, if we have nothing we as a society we have nothing to gain if we as black women aren't seen so therefore I have nothing to lose in that fight right so I, I resonate with her her entrance her background and obviously there's that proximity of like location and like, heritage there. So yeah, um, Olive Morris. And then also I would say an event in time um, that I, w- I kind of wish I was there at, but also have a lot of like questions about um, is the Haitian revolution. I, I kind of want to know like what happened at the time when you know, they all met and I just have questions. Like, it's like, what what was that conversation mm. that led to the uprising? And yeah, I was just interested as to how it started, right? Um, yeah, there's, there are stories out there that say it started with like, um, you know, like a vision and things like that, but I, I want to know, so yeah. Cool. All right. With the Black Curriculum, what's next on the horizon? We are doing a lot. So this year, our focus is, I call this, okay, so we're getting things right as an organisation. We're in our third year. And our focus at the moment is on um, going into uh, different markets, including the children's market, which includes children's books. So we have our own set of books coming out in August um, on migration, legacies and places and those are all kind of different aspects of black history so that's really exciting and the team have worked so hard on it looks it looks great the content's great and I'm sure the reception will be as well Um, we also have a program called the Springboard program um, that we are running with Universal Music to basically encourage students to learn black history through music so it's an extension of what we started doing in 2019 but in different cities in london birmingham bristol manchester and liverpool um and that is um yeah it's all year um so from this month to you know um 2023 may and yeah every student in that program essentially um has access to our post scheme networks where they're able to kind of look at 
um, other creative industries that they're really interested in and using Black History as a vehicle to campaign in, in their own creative way. And yeah, we have a campaign for teachers because we've, we've seen that our work is, is effective, but there's a lot of policy work that needs to be done for us to actually institute this at a national level. So we have a campaign coming up at the end of the year as well. That's so interesting. So interesting to hear about the music piece as well, especially when you talk about how when you were a teenager and what the music done for you in your life, um, listening to music. So that's really yeah. interesting to hear, actually. Super cool. Um, what would you say has been your proudest achievement so far? Um, proudest achievement? That's really, I don't know. I'd, I'd say writing the book. I'd say writing the book. Um, yeah, allowing myself on this on this on this journey to be educated as I go, because I'm learning whilst I'm doing this book. Not only through like the content, but the experience of trying to do this in action. So it's like, okay, we talk about implementing Black History, but whilst we're doing it, what are the lessons that I can learn and put into this book? So it's like that process of just being still, and I think writing so I'm really proud of that um yeah and setting up the black curriculum like it took a lot of effort I'm so proud of myself for that so yeah amazing amazing yeah writing a book sounds like it's a very reflective thing to be doing as well you know learning your own reflecting and writing down your stuff in a book that's so cool all right and last question before we go into some quick fire yeah what do you okay. want your legacy to be oh hmm I would say my legacy that I, that I desire is creative reflection and action for the use. Yeah. Cre creative reflection. What's that? Yes. So it's one of my values. So when I think of creative reflection, it's like, I'm not, uh, say you're walking down a street and you just keep buckling. Like you just keep every minute, you're just buckling, buckling. Stop, <laughs> right? take yourself to the side and when I say like creative it doesn't mean that you just literally stand still it's like okay maybe I can look to the sky for that direction so it's almost like using creativity as a lens to kind of just improve what you're doing as you go so it's like it's essentially learning but you're being creative with that so creative reflection and action because then you need to implement what you've just reflected on to, to change it so yeah I'd say creative reflection and action for the young people. Yeah. Really cool. All right, that's perfect. Thank you so much. Perfect. All right, let's go into some quick fire. Yeah? Oh, I've got, okay. got a few questions here for you. Yep. Whatever comes to your mind first, you can shout it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go from there. All right, you good to go? Yeah. All right, first question. What's your favorite movie? Um, Love and Basketball. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Favorite book? Um, how Europe Undeveloped Africa. Cool. Name a song that you can never get bored of. Um, uh, is it Summer Soft? Stevie Wonder. Okay, cool. All right. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Plantain. Ah. <laughs> Plantain. Fair enough. <laughs> well, we, we could have that debate all evening. <laughs> all right. Next, how do you start your day? Um, with exercise. All right. Name three people that inspire you. Um, Olive Morris, my mum, and Jesus. All right. What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, um, approach everything as if it's going to work. Oh, I love that. Mm. All right. If you were to dedicate the rest of your life to one charitable cause, what would you pick? The back curriculum. All right, <laughs> easy. What's the kindest thing that someone has ever done for you? Oh, um, that's a nice one. Kindest thing. I think just taking the time to listen whilst no one else is listening. I had a good mentor, Natasha. Yeah. Cool. All right, shout out Natasha. Yeah. And last question. Mm -hmm. What's one thing people don't know about you? 
that every time I squat, money's crack. Money, money's crack. <laughs> yeah, okay. they go. You know your knees. You know you can like. Oh, your yeah. knees. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, thought, I thought you said money, as in like money. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought that was wrong or something. <laughs> so no, my knees. They go. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not painful. It's just something that happens now. I'm just like, you know, it's fine. Whatever. Oh, well, as long as you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm you're good, doing. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, that's that, man. That's the interview done, man. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this oh, conversation with you. Same. Man. It was really yeah. good, really good. No, and good questions. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. I said I was looking forward to it before we started because education is something I believe really strongly in. And I love what you and the team are doing as well. So I mm. um, was looking forward to speaking with you and really, really enjoy speaking with you. So. And again, thank you so much for being patient because I know you emailed back in like December for this. Oh, so. it's good, man. Yeah. It's, it's good. Happy we, ha- happy we made it working yeah and so that's all yeah, good same. um before we wrap up if you've got any last words you want to say and also where can people keep up to date with what you and the team are doing as well um so yes admitted you can find online at you know all bookstores bookshops um and it's out spring 2023 you can pre-order it you can find the black curriculum on theblackcurriculum.com twitter curriculum black instagram the black curriculum and um to get involved with us as uh, recipients of programs that we're running, you can check out the website um, and also encourage your schools, please, please encourage whoever has a teacher in their family, whoever has a, uh, a student that's studying in their family, or if you are a student or a teacher, please check out the back curriculum, find out what your school is doing, get them to commit to making assurances that this is something that you're going to do for the rest of your life. And that's it. Cool. All right, people. So that's that for today. That was Lavinia of the Black Curriculum. This is A Thousand Voices. And for now, people, we're out. Yeah. Okay. That was that. As always, thank you for tuning in. It is very much appreciated. And if you haven't already, please do consider subscribing to us or following us wherever you're listening to this right now. It really does help us in trying to amplify the voices of the people that we speak to. Also, what did you think about this episode? What did you gain from this episode? What were some of your key takeaways from this conversation? As always, it's always great to hear from you guys. So leave a comment, leave a review wherever you're listening to this right now. Let us know what you thought about this. The next podcast episode is going to be dropping next week, Tuesday, as they're released every single Tuesday. So if you'd like to see some previews, a few little snippets from that, then follow us on our social media pages at 1000 Voices UK so that you can keep up to date with that before it comes out. The full YouTube video will drop a few days afterwards as well. So keep an eye out for that. But that's that for now. Thank you for tuning in. This is 1000 Voices. And for now, people, we're out.